I won't move Rob's little thing at the moment. Just something light and easy to get us going. Um, a little dot to dot. So, what's that of then? Okay. So, we've, we've got a very straightforward dot to dot. It's just easy to make those connections there to see what the big picture is. That one's easy. Okay, what's this one a picture of? I'm actually shocked that you're trying to work it out because I didn't even bother. But these are things that are sold at the moment and they're sold as a kind of like relaxation thing. You know, you just join the dots and it's supposed to chill you out. Sometimes it, it's really difficult to see what the bigger picture is and sometimes we, we just have individual thoughts and ideas and experiences. And what we'd like to do this morning is to try and join up some of the dots for us at Hay Hill. We are at quite an important moment in our history. And in a few weeks' time, we're going to be voting. And we're going to be making a, a decision whether or not we become an Oasis hub. So how do we make that decision? How do we decide whether we're going to make this really quite big change in our structure and in how we work? Well, I think we need to kind of inform ourselves. We need some understanding of what actually has been going on over a period of time at the church. We need to join up the dots. We need to see how individual teaching, experiences, words, pictures, all link together and to see whether that really helps us understand whether this is right for us right now. I came across this wonderful verse the other day. I think it's absolutely fantastic. By wisdom, <coughs> a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. We really need to know and understand the times that we're in. And through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So this, the rest of the service is about um, thinking about what we have learned and bringing that together. Now, we're going to look at it in three ways. Okay, we're going to have three different perspectives. Because of any big change, you need to decide, first of all, actually... Does this line up with scripture? So we need to think, does, do we have a biblical mandate for becoming an Oasis hub? Is it clear from scripture that this is right? But as well as that, we also need to think about us, our history, our story. And we're going to go right back. It's so lovely that Brian came and, and shared something this morning. We're going to go right back in time to perhaps about 60 years ago to some of the earlier memories of this church and what God has been doing over time. And then 
We're also going to look at some of the prophetic words and ideas that have helped to shape us into the community that we are today. And we're going to put these together and think, hey, does this help us make a decision? We're not going to kind of say, go this way or that way today. That's for each of us to decide what we think God is saying. But that's the plan for this morning. So Rob is going to do the biblical bit. Then a few of us are going to do the historical bit. And then I'm going to bring up at the end with just pulling together some of the prophetic themes that have been running and flowing through the church. Right, so in the long tradition of double acts, this is uh, the latest one. Uh, so I'm going to whiz through some, uh, some stuff, um, looking at what God is saying to us from the Bible. Some passages which have been important, are important, and clearly there are lots of other passages. Every one of you will, by the end of this, say, oh, you didn't say anything about this, you didn't talk about that passage. So we're trying to, it's very ambitious, but these feel like passages that we've, we've looked at that are really important for us in terms of thinking about uh, who we are as the people of God and what our calling is as God's people. So we're going to look through them very quickly. I'll, we are going to whiz through, um, but it just gives us that, that kind of an, a, a perspective, an overview. And in a sense, kind of takes us through the whole story, the whole sweep of the Bible and, and the story that it tells so thinking first of all about this passage, Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28. Okay. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So every human being is made in the image of God. And part of being made in the image of God is being given a task, a calling, a mandate to rule over creation on God's behalf, to enable creation to be all that God intends it to be. It's not a a dominating uh, picture, but it's a picture. I, the second chapter of Genesis uh, pictures a garden, and I think that's a good picture. We're called to be gardeners who tend and nurture and enable creation to be all that it's meant to be. That's part, a significant part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We are given a job to do, and it's the broadest possible mandate. So anything which is about Caring for creation is not some kind of add-on. It's not a fad or a trend. It's integral to our calling, our identity as human beings. So a really important passage uh, which speaks about our mandate in the broadest possible way. And then this passage, which I'm sure you knew was going to be coming because we've talked about this a lot, um, but it is a very important passage in terms of the, the story that the Bible tells. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So that, that passage comes after a series of 
uh, disasters, really, in a sense. Ad the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the story of Cain and Abel. We've got the story of the flood, where it says that God repented that he ever made anything in the first place. We've got the story of the Tower of Babel. And yet this passage says God has not given up on his world. His determination is to bring blessing, to establish his kingdom of justice and peace, to bring blessing to the world, and he's going to do it through his people. He calls the people in order that they will be a blessing. And this phrase, we are blessed to be a blessing, uh, is rooted in this passage. And really the whole of the rest of the Bible story is the outworking of these words to Abraham. Everything that follows on from there is the outworking of this calling and these promises that God makes to Abraham. So we are blessed to be a blessing. And in this passage, which is uh, more obscure from Ezekiel, uh, and it's part of this picture, this vision that Ezekiel sees of the, the future when God is going to restore his people. They're in exile. God says, I'm going to restore my people and I'm, I'm going to be present among them. That was always the promise that God says when he established his covenant with Israel. He said, uh, you will be, I'll be your God, you will be my people. I will live among you, I will dwell with you. And so there's this picture that Ezekiel sees of the temple being rebuilt and of this flood of water. Well, it begins with a trickle, it becomes a stream, and then it becomes a flood of water flowing out from the temple. A picture, again, of blessing flowing out from God's presence. And uh, the bit I really like in this passage is the, the, the words that are highlighted. Where the river flows, everything will live. Where the river flows, everything will live. I think that's a wonderful picture of our calling as God's people, to be those through whom life comes in all its various forms and various shapes. We're to be people who bring life Wherever the river flows, everything will live. So that picture, that image that we had, and out of that we had, uh, that helped to shape our, our idea of overflow, which I think we we'll, might talk about a bit later. And this passage, which is all around the walls, um, I don't know whether anybody pointed out to Steve Chalk when he quoted this, this passage on the day that it's there on the walls all around. So that implies a certain coming together of, of minds, doesn't it? Um, in terms of what we're thinking. But this, this passage, and so these words were spoken to a people who'd been in exile and had returned and were trying to rebuild their lives and were still feeling trapped, still feeling poor, still feeling downtrodden. Um, and Isaiah says, well, God has given me a word, a message, a message of hope for these people. And of course, it's taken up by Jesus, isn't it? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. So Jesus takes up these words and applies them to himself when he stands up in the, temp in the synagogue in Nazareth. And as Steve Short was saying, Jesus' whole life and ministry, his death, his resurrection, was all the outworking of that sense of calling that he had, of bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming freedom 
for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. And it's striking that when Jesus quotes from this passage, he stops. He doesn't talk about the day of vengeance of our God. He talks about the year of the Lord's favor, that we live in this time of grace when God is wanting to show his favor. And uh, Jesus' whole ministry, as I say, was, was the outworking of this as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. That's what Jesus proclaimed and lived out. And then this passage, John chapter 20, 19 to 23, the day of resurrection. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. So Jesus says to his disciples, says to us, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. We're called to continue that ministry that Jesus began. We're called to live that Jesus life. And I think it's very striking. We need to picture Jesus having shown his disciples, his hands and sides stood there before them and saying to them, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Calls us to take up our cross and to follow, to give, to suffer, to serve. It's a very powerful picture, isn't it? If we can try and see Jesus commissioning us, as the Father has sent me, in the same way I send you. And then finally, this passage from Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that passage reminds us that Jesus called people to be disciples. And to be a disciple is to be someone who acts, who does, who lives, not just someone who believes, not just someone who has spiritual experiences, but someone who lives a life, which again is the life of Jesus. That's what discipleship is all about. And he called people to be disciples, to participate, to join in, and he calls us to call others to be disciples. Our message, if you like, is come and join in. Come and be part of what God is doing. Come and participate. And all those different dimensions of that experience, it's a holistic picture of discipleship. It is about belief. It is about experiencing God and our spirituality. It's about community. It's about lifestyle and action. And we're called to invite people to join in, to participate in that. But we should be aware, I think, that actually for a lot of people, they may join in, uh, not at the points where we expect them to. Because traditionally, we've expected people to begin with the belief bit. And then they experience. And then they become part of the church. And then they, they do things. But actually, a lot of people, for a lot of people, it will work the other way around. 
if, we've got our, if we're saying the right things and offering the right invitations, some people will say, I want to come and join in with what you're doing. I don't know about all that belief stuff yet, but I really like what you're doing, and I believe in it, and I want to be part of it. And we've got to be prepared to let people do that. And eventually, the beliefs will get sorted out, as far as they ever get sorted out, because to be honest, none of us have got that bit sorted out, have we? We all believe some odd things, really. And, and so it's about having that, that, that right, getting things the right way around and that openness. So it's come and join in. Come and be part of what God is doing. That's our calling. Go and make disciples. Call people to participate in what God is doing. And then just to remind us as well that last week we had this lovely picture that Lee brought us. I can't really see the words that well, but the, based on Micah chapter 6, verse 8, that encouragement to us to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. The hands, heart, feet picture. So that's a, a whistle-stop tour through some very important passages which kind of give us a biblical framework um, for what we're thinking about. And uh, we're going to try and put some of this stuff down on paper so that you can see it and think about it. And, and I wonder whether there are any of those passages that particularly resonate with you, any of those things that you think, yeah, I really think that's, that's really important and that's something that speaks to me, something I value. Perhaps we do different things for different people. And as I say, you'll all have ideas about other bits of the Bible that we could include and, and perhaps you feel that there are bits that should definitely be in there. But that's all part of the conversation as well that we need to be having. But I think in, given the time, I think we just move on. But before we do, I think I'd like us just to reflect on what we've been thinking about and to, to do it again by just saying some words together. So I'll give you a moment just to read those words uh, and then we'll, we'll say them together. And then there's another slide as well. Shall we say this together? Creator God, you have made us in your image. May we be faithful bearers of your likeness as we care for your world. Generous God, you have blessed us abundantly. May we be a blessing to others. Life-giving Spirit, you have brought us new life like water welling up within us. May we bring life to others wherever we go. Saving God, you have come to set captives free and bring good news to the poor. May we proclaim the good news of your kingdom in all we say and do. Suffering God, you gave yourself in love for the world. May we hear and accept your calling to take up our cross and follow. God in community, you call us to participate in the life and work of your kingdom. May we gladly do so and call others to join us. So we have to decide, okay, 
biblical mandate for us becoming an Oasis hub. Does the theology of Oasis match up to our theology and our thinking of this Genesis through to the end? That story that Rob has just summarized so succinctly for us there, the things that we've been thinking about. So we've got the biblical story. Um, what about our story? We're going to think about our history now and how far we go back. Uh, first of all, I'm going to invite Lyndon to come out and just to tell us a little bit about um, his thoughts about the church. And uh, as I've asked people uh, during the week, I've spoke to Teresa and Dave Vernals and Rob and Mark, and I've said, well, when we look at our history, when we look at the different phases of ministry, can we have a think about what is it from each phase of ministry that has been really important to shape us into the people that we are today. So as we look back over our history, it's not just to tell nice stories and just to have anecdotes that make us smile or encourage us, but it's actually to think what was really key about that phase of ministry that moved us on as a people of God here in Bath. So Lyndon's going to start us off, and I'm really well aware that there are very, very few of us here who were here 60 years ago, possibly very few who were here 30 years ago, 20 years, 15 years, it becomes, so I'm aware that some of this may not be relevant, but we are here today because of what's gone on before, and we are part of a big story, and we need to understand how the decisions we make now affect what the churches look like in 20 years time and in 50 years time. Lyndon, come and share your story. Hay Hill as a church has never been afraid of change or afraid of a challenge. In the mid-1960s, the membership of this church uh, comprised of a few old ladies and one or two old men and the local association had decided to close it. There were two slightly younger ladies. One was secretary, one was treasurer, and they appealed to the local association to give it one more try. And with, in conjunction with the Baptist College, they brought a mature student to this church. That guy's name was Peter Taylor. He came here with his wife and two children um, he was probably in his mid-30s, and uh, he came into the ministry from being an engineer. He was working on the prototypes of the hovercraft at the time before he went into the ministry. They were a very welcoming family. They lived in Alpine Gardens along the road, and uh, Peter set about um, getting in touch with people in the community. and also with repairing the church and the house that we own behind, which is in a poor state of repair. Um, Peter's outreach, you know, this now being the latter end of the 60s, which some of you may recall was the sort of fading hippie era. Um, Peter's outreach was to those people initially. Um, most of them were drug addicts. Uh, in the days when the drug was simply cannabis and nothing else. 
and a lot of them hung out in Walcott graveyard, just at the top of Walcott Street. So Peter used to go and search them out, take them home, give them a good meal. And the church began to grow. When I came here in 1970, which is not 60 years ago, again, I haven't been here that long. Um, <clears throat> I, I think I was the only young person. Uh, a year later, Fiona came along about the same time Audrey Jones came along and her contacts had a lot of student nurses at the RUH who also came along. So the church began to grow. We began to set about uh, doing some work, repair work. And uh, as I said, it began to grow. A lot of lovely people here. And by the time Peter left in, I think it was 1973, uh, there was a substantial congregation substantial compared to what was here when I first came uh, with a number of young couples including Fiona and myself then as a couple. There was an interregnum uh, as usual I think two or three years and then the church appointed as I go through you'll see that the church never appointed a, um, a qualified Baptist minister till Rob Beardsley came along so Peter was a student the next person was called Jeff Fuchs from South Wales, who came from a Presbyterian background, um, a very strong Bible teacher. Peter was more community-based than Bible teaching. Jeff Fuchs, a very strong Bible teacher, and that attracted a lot more people, including um, some of the hippie element, for reasons I don't quite understand. But we had, on the lower Bristol Road, number 73, or 74, it's now a pizza hut place, um, a place that was called the Jesus House, set up by a guy called Phil Proctor, who was a Christian, who gave accommodation to um, recovering drug addicts and, again, people at the end of the hippie era. And they all came here, which was quite strange, if you think of the uh, type of preaching that Jeff did, which was typical Welsh nonconformist preaching, but again, the church began to grow um, on the strength of the biblical preaching this time, uh, not so much the community outreach. We had another interregnum, and as the church had grown, we decided that we needed some toilets, because the only toilet was out under the pavement at the front of the church. So we did up the basement, and we put in toilets and kitchen and other facilities, and then people said, well, why, why are we stopping here? We've got a very old church, we ought to do something about it. And we put in planning permission for what you're sitting in today. We didn't implement that because we didn't have a minister and we didn't want to do anything until he came along. And the next minister was John Farron. Uh, John, I think, came from a Methodist background this time working in a different, difficult area in Liverpool, in Toxteth. And um, again, a very strong Bible, um, Bible preacher, Bible teacher. And the congregation grew, uh, I think, to the biggest it's ever been, something like 110 members. And during that time, we uh, did the work to the church, which... Um, provided what you're sitting in. Now, to do that, we actually sold the house at the back, and that contributed 
towards the um, cost of this building, which I think Brian will correct me in the day was about 350,000 in total. Is that right? So as you see, we were not too big a congregation, but still willing to uh, face a challenge and spend that sort of money, which I reckon would be a couple of million these days. So, uh, and the church, when John Farron left after, I think he was here 13 years, was probably had the, long, the biggest congregation it had ever had. So plenty of change, plenty of challenges. Uh, and then we move on to somebody who's going to talk about Rob Beasley. Thank you very, very much, Lyndon. So if we just summarize that, we had a very small church, a church that was almost dying. And yet somebody comes and starts building it up and bringing families in. And the person who's come has got a heart for reaching out to those in the community who are really in need, drug addicts. The church then begins to grow, and then you have somebody else who's building it up, solid Bible teaching. But still, there's this sense of, yeah, these people from Jesus' house, they're coming here. So still, there is this sense of, actually, this is a place where people in need are coming. So just keep that in mind. Also keep in mind what Lyndon said, that of the last five ministers we've had, only two have come from the Baptist Union. Does that help us as we think you know, into the future? We're going to be okay if we don't have somebody from the Baptist Union. That's okay. And that's our history. So small, growing, and um, then with the longest period of ministry, John Farron, we be, we've become big. John was uh, very strong on Bible teaching, strong on just really building up the body of the church. And then we have a new minister. And the heart of Rob Beardsley was outreach. Rob Beardsley was somebody who really was focused and passionate about um, reaching out to those who didn't know Jesus and about telling the gospel message. I've spoken to Dave Vernals and Teresa, and both of them have spoken about um, his emphasis on welcoming people when they came in, on welcoming the stranger, getting out of our seats and going welcoming that person. So that was the point at which we turned and be became a community that welcomed people, that's known for its welcome. We also did lots of evangelistic outreach things. We went and we did events. We were supposed to invite our friends, and then those friends would become part of the outer kind of circle of the church, and we'd want to bring them into the core. So Rob Beardsley's heart was evangelism, outreach, mission. He, we did the Contagious Christianity course. Anybody here remember that? Yeah, purpose-driven life. What it's about, it's about sharing your faith. So that was, that was really important. So we had John building up the church with good Bible teaching, and then we had Rob saying, actually, we need to be sharing our faith. And then what comes next was Rob. Now, Rob's not going to speak about himself, but Mark's going to do that bit for him. Okay, so this is, this is slightly strange in a way, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it, Rob? <laughs> um, but uh, I got the chance to speak when, when Rob had his, oh, what do you call it? There's always a big Latin name for these things, your valedictory service. Uh, so I've got a bit of experience of doing this before. 
Uh, this isn't so much about Rob as it is about uh, the church in that time, but they are inseparable. I, I know um, uh, Paul and, and many others would, would say that the head of a, a school is so important because everything really comes out of what they're like, the way they approach it. And so uh, the first thing I'd like to say about, about Rob is about his style, which is that he, uh, he lived and he uh, encouraged proper humility. That's the expression that he's used many times and is not authoritarian. And I really like that in leadership. But I also see that even if you're not an authoritarian leader, then that is that you, you pass on who you are, your character, your beliefs to the, uh, the group that you're with. And so after some turbulence, because um, uh, another period without a minister went by and, uh, and some people left during that, and I think that's always going to be the case. After some turbulence, Rob brought uh, a gentle, caring restoration to the, to the church. And I think that that restoration is one of the, one of the aspects that I want to look at, that, that Rob talked about a church with fuzzy edges and, and everyone being welcome. And um, he nurtured a church in which we can have different opinions. And that's something I really value. And I, I know, having talked to quite a few people over the years, that that's something that they, they love about coming here. Um, Rob had uh, a statement of uh, a vision of the Christian community called The Dream, which I won't go through now, but it had quite a number of points which I, I think are, are really great as an expression of, of what church can possibly be and, and is still uh, really important as a as background for where we are today. Um, it was Rob who, who led uh, initiative to, to open the doors and let people in to use this building. And uh, I was just thinking now that one characteristic of the time when Rob was here was that there were a lot of people passing through, uh, not something which um, is easy to deal with, but you have people who come and join us and really get involved and be part of the church, but then they move on. And perhaps it's an indication of the changing times then, where there's uh, uh, big student communities in Bath these days, that wasn't the case before. And I'd say that many uh, people who've come through Hayhill are now out there in other places working for the kingdom, and, and they've taken the perspective of that, that they've picked up in this church and uh, through Rob. So the first thing, gentle, caring restoration. Then the second thing is uh, the kingdom of God. And in Rob's time, I think uh, a bigger, better picture of the kingdom was established and communicated, that, that we, could, we could see a bigger vision of it, that the, the kingdom of God is bigger than just church. Uh, God's work is ongoing, and sometimes the church is participating in it. Rob also talked about the need to celebrate goodness and truth wherever it is found. And uh, as we've heard with, with Rob's run-through of the, the Bible, that uh, he, had, he brought to us healthy perspectives on the whole narrative of Scripture. And uh, I remember when Rob talked about sharing faith over a series of talks, it would probably be very different to the the strong Bible teachers of the, of the past, but it, it was sharing faith with proper humility and in a, in a very healthy way, I think. Uh, Rob has always been someone to want to connect with culture, and so uh, he reads a lot, uh, watches a lot of films, uh, brings in real life in, into what we do, and so Community Sundays was a feature that, uh, of, of Rob's time where we got a chance to look at uh, big world issues and relate them to to the Bible and to our faith. So uh, gentle, caring restoration, the vision of the kingdom of God, 
And uh, the, the final thing I want to say is perhaps what Julia brought to Rob's ministry, which is, so what? Uh, he would often say that Julia would, would make sure that he, he finished that way. So what? So we've, we've already seen a little bit about overflow and uh, Isaiah 61, which I, I think is so important that the, the big Bible narrative is, is that God chooses his people to be blessed in order to be a blessing, not to be uh, big authoritarian leaders telling people what to do, but the, any privilege that they have been granted is to pass on. And so those, those theoretical things were always accompanied with a challenge as to how to live it out. And I think, you know, Rob is, is still part of this church and still has the chance to speak to us. And just last week when he talked about food waste with this Tier Fund initiative, um, he said something along the lines of, you know, a, a world in which fewer children are dying, in which people have food and shelter, well, that's the coming of the kingdom of God, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Amen. So I think Rob gradually transformed our mindset as a church and that his ministry led to what we hoped for when we wrote a job, a job description to appoint Dave McGill. And I think it's what we are still pursuing. Thanks, Mark. That's really great. Um, so we've got then, we've got the small beginnings. We've got a continuous flow of people coming into the church who need help, who need support. We've got solid Bible teaching, we've got a new building, and now we've got a new perspective on the kingdom of God. Dave McGill, who most of us here will know, took us on a step further. And he took us on because he actually started doing church outside of here. So where Rob had introduced us to that fuzzy, the fuzzy walls idea of church, he then said, okay, it's not about people coming to us. It's about us going to them and doing church with them where they're at. And in Dave's heart, that was very much part of what he came to do here, Hope Chapel, doing church down at a place in town, over at Mandolin's behind us, that carol service there. And I remember when I saw Dave get up with his guitar, I just thought, you were made for this. This is what you were called to do. You were called to take the culture of the kingdom of heaven that we knew, that we'd learned about. You were called to take that there. So that's what we got from Dave McGill. Really, really, really important. So we know as a community, we need solid Bible teaching. And we know as a community... We aren't called to share our faith. And now we know as a community we're called to share our faith by going because this isn't a time for people to come. And that's really important. These are things we've learned through our history. And it's great. I think it's fabulous that we are still here. How good is God? So that's just a quick overview of our history. But we wanted to look at the prophetic as well. Rob, I just have a little interlude with my Okay, I'm going to give you one minute to reflect on that. Uh, can I suggest that you just stand up, you walk around, because we're going to try and come back and do some stuff on what God has been saying in the prophetic to us. And that is the bit I'm really, really excited about, so I don't want you to be glazing over. 
So please refresh yourself, stand up, chat, say to people, isn't it good to be part of Hay Hill? And then we come back in like two minutes. Okay, get up. Paul, you can't leave the building yet. Okay, let's go. Let's start back. Thank you. So I am always, always so encouraged by our church because so many people in our very quite small congregation just are constantly speaking words of life into me. And words of life are those now words, those prophetic words that really build me up, challenge me, and encourage me. And I really feel that this is a congregation, a community, and I've said it before, which is unusually gifted in people who hear God. And I think that's something to really celebrate. If we're talking about our unique calling, I think that's one of our unique callings. And our role and our responsibility is to hear God and to share that. But just a word before I kind of kind of whiz through what I feel God has been saying to us over, again, quite a period of time. Um, we remember that we only prophesy in part. You know, there is no way that we have got God's mind. Okay, we can't do that. We only see in part. We only understand in part. And whatever we say comes through us, the character of each individual. And um, that's always going to mean it comes out slightly differently. And also, what I've chosen is just a snapshot, really, to help us decide if we should become part of an Oasis Hub. And there are other things that God has said 
and spoken and shared with us that I haven't picked up. This is just a snapshot, okay, just a small view. So I wanted to kind of say that before I launch into it in case anybody's like, well, what about that word there? That was so momentous for me and changed my life. If I haven't included it, I'm really sorry. This is just kind of just an overview. Okay, now I'm going to start. Can I do this one here? Can I do that? Okay. Okay, so this is my prophetic overview. And I'm going to start back in July 2003, okay? I'm going to start back at transition point, at an interregnum point. Prophecy is to encourage, to inspire, but sometimes prophecy is to challenge us. And somebody at our church, Ruth Griffiths it was, during that time of interregnum, brought a word, that was a really hard word, to our church meeting. And uh, she said, in the community of churches in Bath, hey, hell is like an eye. It, it's, it's supposed to be seeing, but actually that eye is blind. So this was after a time of really being built up, solid Bible teaching from John Farron, huge church, Okay, and yet she brought this word to us. And um, I didn't like the word either. So Ruth and I got together and we really kind of thought, well, what is God saying here? And I want to tell you what God said us back, to us back in 2003 that we didn't actually share. Sometimes prophecy is just for you to pray over. So we were thinking about a new minister, and Ruth and I together kind of pressed in and had this from God. What does God think about a new minister? It's not important. It's not a big issue whether we have a new one or not. There are other things that we decide daily that are much more important to God. On the outside, everything looks right. We're stable. We conform to what we think a church should look like. But this has no weight with God. We're called to be the eye, and yet we're blind. We're not focused on what we should be focused on. We've missed the whole point. And we're distracted with Sunday. This is in 2003. We're distracted with Sunday. But when the light comes in, our hearts will be focused on those things that God sees. And God sees the poor. And God sees the needy. And God took us to Isaiah 42. And in Isaiah 42, we felt God was saying to us, um, and there's a bit about, see, there's my chosen one. I've put my spirit on him. So very much in line with Isaiah 61. And it says, I have called you. I will take hold of your hand to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from dungeon those who sit in darkness. So God was saying before we had our new minister, 
I want to take hold of you, Hey Hill, because this is the kind of church I want you to be. You, you think you're okay at the moment, but actually you're blind because you're looking at the wrong things. You're preoccupied with Sunday, and I'm calling you to free the captives. And it goes on in Isaiah and says, look, I'm telling you some new things. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And I felt that God was saying, look, I'm just telling you, because I share with my friends what's going to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen. And look at where we are. Look at what our conversation has been over the last few years. Now, I'm sharing that with you now. It probably wouldn't have been appropriate to share it with you, like back in 2003. But it's part of us seeing, actually, we are on this program. And it's important to note that that was said to us really in a context of God's love. We'd just been to sit home as a community. And God had just spoken some amazing words to us about his heart for us. And we just couldn't see what he could see in us. So that's kind of where I want to start this morning. Okay. And then we went on from that and thought, okay, well, what do we need? And this is our thought before we appointed a new minister. I felt that we needed to be finding out, okay, well, what is the way that we should be walking? And these verses just kept coming to me. What is the way we should be walking? What's important? We need to walk in the way of Jesus. We need somebody who's going to come and show us the good way to walk. That's following the way of Jesus. But we also need somebody who's very gentle and very humble. Those words that Mark has just picked up on. That's what we need. And I think that's what we had. We then went through this period of time where we had some teaching about the way of Jesus, following the way of Jesus. And we had this sense of we need to open the doors. We've got this big building. People have invested in this big building. Open the doors. That seemed to be quite a significant word for us, didn't it? Overflow. This picture that we've mentioned before, we've had all this good stuff from God. It needs to flow out into our lives. And blessed to be a blessing. So we then went into 10 years in which this was the sense of what God was telling us to be doing. These key kind of words, prophetic words, go and do this. And we did it. But had we found the way of rest? I don't think we had. And I think that the structures of church that we had that were so in place meant that we had not found the way to rest. But we had done. We, we Isaiah 61. There. We were not blind anymore. In 2014, we were talking about, we don't want to be thinking about Sunday. We don't want to put all our energy, our resources, our time, our money into doing Sunday and into maintaining church. 
so we were no longer blind and there were so many people in the, the community, the small community that had just really got God's heart, God's perspective and every time we came in we saw it lying in the walls. So that's really good. But we hadn't found this way of rest, so something needed to change. So we had this period of listening and discerning. So what came out in that? What were the key prophetic words? Well, I gathered them together. They're here. And I stood up in one church members' meetings and summarized them. Something that came out again and again and again was actually we need a mentor. We need somebody that's going to help us transition from um, to be doing church differently. That's what we need. And we also had this, that we were actually a vibrant church. That there was still life. We were still a church that was really alive. And isn't that great? Small, but really vibrant. And another word that's creeped in recently is dynamic. Wow. That's great. That's really good. What else has God been saying in that time? few months later, uh, Claire Charlesbell brought us this word. Let's look at this word again. It's a really important word. Rise up, Zion. Rise up, people of God. Let's crack on with the singing. Come on, let's go. Let's be joyful. Let's do that. I've put in brackets the next bit because I don't understand that. In time, I'm sure that will become clear what the birds are. I don't understand that bit. But Claire's prophecy is saying, come on, church. It's time to smash the windows right through. Let the sounds of outside mingle with the noise within. And this is beginning to link up with our understanding of the kingdom of God and those fuzzy walls, that there is something of God going on outside and something of God going on in here, and the two need to mix Join the sounds of heaven and weave the strands which form a chord. Could be chord like that, or it could be chord, C-O-R-D. I'm not sure. In Hebrew poetry, there's always a play on words, so I'm sure that God's got multiple meanings in this. So this is an important prophecy. This is talking about there's something going on out there and there's something going on in here and they need to be joined together. So this is following on from this new perspective of the kingdom of God. And it's following on from Dave, it's following on from Rob, it's important. Alone is not the way. Alone is not the way. Look for a roundedness in vision and voice, a holistic gospel. I think we still need to be thinking about this prophecy. A few other things as well. Um, Claire also had a picture of shoots growing up on the paragon. Green shoots. And I thought about it, and I felt that those were green shoots of hope. Hope springing up. But then what happened in her vision is that the shoots grew up so much that it actually all became green. There was no church, no pavement. The whole thing was green. There was this sense of life flourishing, green pastures. 
And then she had another picture, which was like a wall, a brick wall. But she could see a space, a crack. And gently she moved the crack and a bit came down and a bit came down. And there's this sense of a wall gently being taken down. Walls of the church. Taking them down. And then somebody else had a word which said, you see before you a mountain, a range of mountains. Things look so difficult, so tough for you. But actually, I see a rolling endless plain. You're in a good place, Hay Hill. I just see green, endless pastures here. This is good. I like those, and I like the sense of growth again outside the church walls. And now we come to Claire, and I love this one. Okay, so Claire to me is a 21st century Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was somebody who had very visual signs to help the people of God understand what was going on. So Claire, can you come be my visual aid out here? Okay, and I'm going to tell you what God, a word God gave me for Claire. Okay, Claire, if you can come and stand here. Okay, and then I'm going to tell you actually that I think it's not a word for Claire. I think Claire is our 21st century Jeremiah, and this is a word for us. Okay, now, yeah, that's really good. Now, Claire, can you just artificially kind of just put your back in it? Yeah, okay. I need to get my paper because I want to really be faithful to the word that God gave me. Okay, so. I need all these props, don't I? Gosh. <sighs> Sorry, everybody. Okay. This is December the 2nd. Okay. I felt God was saying to Claire, Claire, you're about to have a new touch from God that's going to refresh you. Claire? You need to be ready to open the door wide open. Are you ready? And I felt God tell me to pray for her back. Because for too long, it's been stuck in one position. And God said, what you need to do is I'm going to pull in. And I'm going to pull you back out, Claire. And I'm going to stretch you in the other direction. And that's going to feel so uncomfortable. Because I want to reach in deep and I want to pull you back into alignment. And as I pull you back into alignment, your flexibility is going to be restored. So Claire is going to learn to go from that to that to that, and eventually she's going to stand upright. Now, what was all that about then? Thank you, Claire. You're such a superstar. Thank you. Just wait there a second. What was that about? Well, at that stage in Claire's life, she was really, really busy in church. And if our God was saying to her, Claire, you need time out, just you and God. And in that time, I'm going to start whispering into your ear. I'm just going to ask Claire what God has whispered into her ear and what has happened 
over the last few months? If you could just summarize that in a couple of sentences. So we, we, Steve, Steve had been running a home group for about eight years, nine years at that point. Um, and that had become gradually, uh, it was a great home group, fabulous people, lots of people turned up every week. Uh, it was working really well from the outside, so it seemed. Um, but we had been having conversations for quite some time about doesn't seem right, doesn't seem right, not sure. Should we keep going, should we not keep going? But nobody wants it to stop, but there are lots of people coming, there's no reason to stop. But actually, there were lots of reasons to stop, if we were really honest. And um, they just didn't seem obvious or right. You stop something when it's not working, not when it's working really well. But in that time, we, we, we eventually decided to stop. Um, and that was a really hard decision. Um, but it was really right. And God did start to whisper. And he started to whisper things like, oh, oh, there's, there's, there's a job of advertised in the newsletter for Make Lunch. What on earth is Make Lunch? Wasn't interested in the job, but was really interested in the project. Went to another home group. And someone said, oh, I saw this thing about Make Lunch. And I went, oh, me too. Um, and that's where we ended up, is doing other stuff. Um. Great, thanks very much. So that is our living example of something dying and then something else coming to birth. Remember what Brian said, sometimes to die is to gain. It's 12 o'clock. Life is busy. Guys, we had just finished off our service. I'm so happy that you're here. It's really great. We're just going to finish off. My kids are just leaving and going out. That's okay. Um, we're going we're gonna to stop in, in a couple of minutes. Let me just wrap it up, okay? Claire is a living example to us of God at work. And I think for us as a church, for too long, we have been stuck there. And it's... We've been stuck in doing church, home group, rotors, music, this, that. We've been stuck there. And God is pulling us out now. And he has been doing that for quite a while. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to do Hope Chapel. It's uncomfortable to do mandolins. It's uncomfortable to do make lunch sometimes. Things don't always flow. And yet, when we're pulled out, God can whisper his heart, his perspective. And we begin to see, actually, there is sharing the gospel and being the gospel and they're actually inseparable I'm just going to finish by saying just recently in the summer Mark and I both felt that despair that word is really key for us the return of hope after a period of despair this is what we're called to be people who God can use to do this and this picture of a seagull covered in oil that I shared recently. And we ummed and ahed, we threw about what it might be, what this actually might be, what the oil is that's stopping this seabird flying. And I got it the other day. It could be fear. It could be worries about the past. But God just plumped something else into my heart. And it was after Rob had spoken from Luke 15, and he'd spoken about the prodigal son, and he emphasized that 
Jesus told those stories to say it's not us and them. There are no boundaries. There are no lines. There are no walls in the kingdom of God. And I think that God is saying, and this is a word for right now for us to take away and examine and test and think about more, that actually we didn't get to that place of rest because we hadn't really got that. We hadn't really got that it's not us and them. But when we got that, that's the oil that's been stopping us flying. That's the oil that's been making it really difficult for us to fly with God. Because after Rob sat down after that, I had this picture of hundreds and hundreds of gleaming white seabirds rising from the sea. And it wasn't just Christians who were free. It was a whole load of other people. So I'm just going to leave that with you. Oh, you lovely, lovely, lovely people. You've just listened so much as we try to fill the dots for you. Let's stand up and come out. Well, everything that's been said to God, let's stand up and then give our attention to our children. Uh, Father, the fact that we could just go on and on and on here means that you are saying so much to us and you have been so faithful to us. We really thank you. We thank you for your goodness, for your love. Father, I pray for anything that we've said today that isn't right, that it would just fall to the ground. But those things that are from you that we really need to think about to help us go forward, they would just dwell in our minds and help us to make a wise, informed, knowledgeable, and informed decision about Oasis. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness and love to us. Bless us as we go now to be with our families and chat with each other. And for this half-term holiday, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Okay.